Welcome to the new chemistry. We're glad you're listening. Feel free to download this podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other platforms. Here on the new chemist, we discuss chemistry, which simply put is the science of change, as well as careers, community, research, and COVID-19. We're happy you're tuning in. I hope back sometimes I won't. The feedback regulation sent. I finesse it back in mode. Might go through with ATP. I go hard like Gamma P. I make sure I balance free energy and skill. Good things. There are a lot of good things to rap and rap and rap and see and rap and see. Good things. There's a lot of good things to rap and rap and rap and see and rap and see. A. A to A. We move and I change. Only partly. I release a few more rate. I'm sorry. Arjuni. Yeah. Put it on me. Yeah, you know. Lots of juice and the spinal party. I just know me. Turn the issue into the urea With our excuses that we know me Imagine honesty goes back to sea Urea cycle Urea cycle I can't release it on my own And I'm functioning closely I've been rapping by Kim Mode. Might go through with ATP. I go hard like Gamma P. I make sure I release free. Energy and still. Good things. There are a lot of good things to rap and rap and rap. 
not previously good things. There are a lot of good things that we are feeling, not feeling, not feeling, not feeling, Yeah. Friday in our station you see. Pull out all the cool ways for me. You know there's alpha, beta, omega, you see. I go from acid to the transmoid. Through your oxidation step, you see. Hope I got the ACD and FAD. They will tell the story that was different from me. Beta oxidation. Beta oxidation. I hold back sometimes I don't. Fatty acid storage front. I finesse the back and move. I go down with FAD. I go high like NAD. H. I make sure I balance free energy and still good things. There are a lot of good things that we are doing, rocking, rocking the sea, rocking the sea. Good things. There are a lot of good things that are rapping, 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 you see. Rapping, 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 you see. Hey, hey. I'll be the hydroxyacylacyl and only partly it goes to the beta keto acyl. I'm sorry. Oxidation step. Only all the jewels are crashing this bugging party. Yeah, you know me. Turn the energy plus into the energy. Yeah, without these cycles, baby, you know me. Imagine dialing back to a fatty acer. Shorten, 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 shorten.
Phosphorus come with HKIC. G60 is formed using ATP. Yeah, pull up the PGI the isomers me. You know how I like it with the F6P. I want a phosphorylator mystery. With the FPP, I'm moving Although this release the up and but with phone and the key I hope Moving on with NAD plus, I go hard with the 13. With the 13. There's a lot of things that I'm phosphorus, 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 and phosphorus. There's a lot of things that phosphorus, 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 and phosphorus. Three PG is formed, not partly. Only three PG uses PG. I'm sorry. Moving on again. Finally, now, 
Well, Jake, thanks so much for joining me today. It's so good to have you on as a guest on this podcast. Um, add to that, I've known Jake for a really long time. Um, the podcast has been on Odyssey, Stitch, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Megaphone, and a variety of other platforms. We've had a variety of uh, big name guests. Um, and our guest today is Jake Desmond, who works under Dr. David Williams. His PhD advisor did his postdoctoral studies under two different chemistry Nobel laureates, Harvey Woodward and E.J. Corey. So for the questions today, um, Jake, what have been your long-standing interests in the field of science? Good question. Thanks for having me, by the way. Uh, I, would, I would say I've been interested in science since I was young. Kind of when that started, I'm not sure what kind of sparked the interest. I'm not exactly sure. Um, but I had some decent teachers back in the day that kept me kind of stimulated in my classes throughout kind of middle school, high school. And um, as I as I started my undergraduate career, I really wasn't sure what I was going to do. Um, and I did about a year and then took kind of a, somewhat of a little time off after uh, my first year of undergraduate. And then coming back to school, then I was really focused on on going to medical school. And luckily, I, I had the opportunity to join the dark side and kind of bail on that opportunity. Uh, so as I was going into my, I finished my undergraduate degree, and I took a, a kind of a gap year to do all these like medical school applications and um, so on and so forth, because that takes a lot of time and, and money and kind of had to work while I was doing all that. But um, yeah, something that was that was kind of nice before I actually finished my undergraduate, I was working um, in the lab with Professor Williams, uh, even as an undergrad. Okay, so he did say, "Hey, you know, when I went to him to get a letter of recommendation for medical school, he, he said medical school. You know, I'm not really. I didn't know that you were planning on doing that. I thought you were going to do chemistry, things like this. So, um, I, of course, that's kind of nice to hear. You know, you hear kind of your boss at that time." inspire you to maybe continue on with chemistry and so he said well just do me this one thing okay apply to your medical school try to try to do the best you can there i'll write you the, the positive letter of recommendation and he said just do me this one thing and just apply to iu for organic chemistry just in case you know you kind of change your mind and that's in fact exactly what happened um throughout the whole application process of medical school um I kind of decided I wanted to be more of a scientist rather than a physician and treat and treat patients and things like this. So, uh, and I'm very happy I did it. I think as I progressed throughout my scientific career, uh, being a physician looks less and less attractive, at least for, for me personally. Uh, I think that their hours are brutal and they don't generally don't, don't get paid enough to do what they do. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy I kind of chose the dark side, if you will. But uh, that that's kind of having a, a, I mean, a nutshell. Uh, okay. How, how I ended up here. Yeah, that's good. That's very good. Um, so it seems as if it took a while for you to decide on whether to go to medical school or whether to pursue graduate school. So how how long was the process to make that decision? Yeah, I would say most of that development took place in my year off. Um, okay. Yeah, I was still pretty excited about it going into um, my senior year of undergrad. And then in that year off is when I did a, quite a bit of introspection. And I actually had a, uh, 
I worked kind of in a restaurant for the first little bit of my gap year. And then, and I kind of, well, that is what it is. That was a way to make money and to have a, a flexible schedule to do medical school interviews and things. Uh, but then I actually had a job opportunity to head out to Central Oregon and work for a startup out there to be kind of the only scientist on board. Um, now granted, the scientific interest there wasn't as stimulating as kind of I would hope. So, um, but once I got in there, that was kind of enough to get my feet wet to say, you know, I really think that this could be a positive future for me. And I really like staying in the lab and working with my hands and things like this. So, um, yeah, that it was mainly over that year. And also, I mean, I will add like, with, with medical school interviews and uh, there's there's uh, and even the application process there's a whole lot of uh, sort of pencil pushing that goes on or, or paper pushing right where you're filling out all these applications and they're asking you kind of the same questions over and over um, on the application and then you fill out some sort of introspective essay on why you think you're a good fit to be a physician and things like this and um, you know you kind of everybody i would imagine says pretty similar stuff oh i care about uh, i care about this i care about that i care about my fellow human beings and things like this so uh there's quite a bit of that that goes on and it also seemed like there was a big difference between applying to medical school and graduate school mm-hmm. Gra- graduate school they pay for you to go and attend to see if you'd like to go there so it seemed like they actually wanted you rather than the opposite is you're paying everything out of pocket for medical school and and in terms of applications travel when you when you actually have to go uh, have an interview somewhere you're paying for all that stuff Um, and uh, you know that's not the best and additionally my my alma mater uh iu so i was that was kind of a, a top school that i was trying to get into and uh well, it's not a top school. It was a top school for me. Okay. So uh, it's a great school. IU School of Medicine is great. So it was towards the end of, of sort of that uh, before classes started, I would say maybe five months before August, six months before August or something when, when your actual IU School of Medicine started. And at this point, I was still on the uh, wait list. Okay. So they actually called me and said, hey, uh, is this Mr. Desmond? You know, I'd like to kind of talk to you for a second because we actually need you to resend your, uh, uh, what it was, was the sort of summary of your grades, like uh, the official transcript, Yeah. Which, which is strange on a couple points. So one, I have to pay to get my, the institution that I got my undergraduate in, even though I'm applying to their medical school program, I have to pay, you know, $20 to get the transcript sent, whatever. And then not only did you have to pay to get that sent, which is kind of silly to begin with, but then you also, um, they also lost that in transit somehow. So then I had to repay and have it sent again. And it it just seemed like the whole thing was kind of, you know, I I really had these big hopes and dreams that I would be able to make some impact on the, uh, on medical school training. And when I became a physician kind of, you know, obviously there's lots of problems with healthcare, um, especially with, I mean, I don't really know about other countries, but uh, I mean, from my experience within the U.S., it's, it's uh, usually overtly, expe- you, know, <laughs> you know, violently expensive and things like that and, and not really affordable. There's not uh, a lot of widespread care and things. So I kind of had these hopes that I would be able to kind of reestablish that or help with that. And it 
kind of seems like the system was maybe a little too far gone for me to, to make much of an impact. So little things like that really helped uh, push me in the right direction to pursue a, a graduate degree or study chemistry, right? Yeah, so I'm glad you found your passion. Um, so how do you maintain view of the bigger picture in your career and in your life in general? How do you see the forest for the trees? Um, how do you keep perspective, essentially, uh, when you face challenges, especially in the lab, because we know research can be frustrating sometimes. How do you keep perspective? Uh, I would say the first thing is to not take anything very seriously. Um, right. you, you really, you know, I think everybody gets really wound up and uptight within uh, their own field of study, and they think that there's kind of two aspects. One, you think that the problem you're trying to solve is the biggest problem in the world, and you're completely wrapped up because you're working for, you know, six six days a week, 12-hour days, and you're working on the same problem over and over, trying to get to this one goal. So um, everybody kind of has this illusion that their problem is, is, a, is an actual, you know, big problem in the world or something yeah. like this. So I think when you kind of zoom out, you realize, oh, this, you know, this is you know something that's more acute to myself uh and then that's kind of the first half and the second half would be uh somewhat remaining focused even through whatever uh turmoil or, or difficult you know whatever impasse you're at in, in your research or in your life uh, or career-wise uh, <clears throat> being kind of hyper focused on that so i would say that's how i kind of keep perspective i, I think that myself I kind of get into this headspace where you know I build up a lot of pressure on myself trying to accomplish these goals and granted they're important and I find them important I find them interesting I find them stimulating and things like this but really what helps when you kind of come to some impasse at least for me is to zoom out and say yeah you know this is really something I need to kind of um, throw it in reverse for a second and, and kind of zoom out to, to really understand what's What's, what are the most important things in life? And it's, you know, yeah. you know, chemistry is a huge aspect of my life and it consumes most of it. Um, but it, I shouldn't let it dictate my joy in life. You know, there's a lot of other things that are important. Yeah, I completely agree. So how do you keep joy? How do you have joy in the midst of these circumstances or in the midst of the challenges you face in the lab? How do you keep yeah. joy? I, I think generally it's, it's learning new things. So oh, yeah, cool. aside, aside from chemistry, that, that's a huge, uh, a very large aspect of my life is just learning new things, whether it's, uh, I mean, I, I'm interested in like financial stuff. I'm interested in, uh, I became a radio operator. Uh, let's see, this was somewhat during COVID. So I'm like a FCC certified radio operator. Okay. Uh, I, I own like a, a little house that's on the west side of, of Bloomington and I like kind of figuring out uh, well this is a problem like let's say I have a problem with my garage door or something like this you know these little tiny challenges um, which are outside the field of, of chemistry completely uh, but in order to solve problems like this you, you need to think differently it's all problem solving just with different uh, sort of aspects in mind and it's really nice to you know in terms of joy uh, one of the, my favorite things is I work so hard or people work so hard in these labs and you accomplish so little generally like it's just such a long haul persistent foot on the gas pedal and 
when you kind of sit, sit back and say, look at all the stuff I've accomplished this week. I worked so hard, you know, 12 hours a day for X amount of days a week. And it's like, wow, well, I only got a few steps in my synthesis, but you know, I learned a lot, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. But a nice thing is when you go to your house and you say, hmm, well, let's power wash the side of my house and then paint it. Oh, it's a whole new color. It's beautiful. You get it done in five hours and you can look at something that is productive, that's done. And, and that, I think that brings a lot of joy to me. So it's it's kind of like, uh, I think, at least for myself, I require some sort of like, uh, and I think most people are like this, but you want some gratification. I mean, you kind of, I think people need that. Um, and, and when you work in a field like just any science, it's such a slow, grueling process for a lot of repetition and, not every day is like a sexy day in the lab, you know, it's generally pretty yeah. cool. so, so it's nice to kind of have these other avenues to uh, get a little bit of that instant feedback, you know, but I mean, yeah. there's several things. I mean, I love sports. I love chess. I love art. I love looking at art. I'm not much of an artist myself, but, you know, like looking at art, studying art, I absolutely love music. So uh, I'm pretty easily entertained, really. So it's, it's not that hard for me to find joy. Uh, I don't think. I mean, there's lots of. I mean, I, I don't. Uh, That's good. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard a lot of people say joy is also dependent on your focus. What are you focused on? What's the center point of your attention? Yeah. So that's good. So how have you been adaptive and creative in the field of science? What have you complemented to thus far, or what are you working on that you think will complement to advancing the field of science? Sure. That's a really good question. Well, I would say it's somewhat, I mean, I, I, you know, I work in total synthesis. Yep. It's, it's somewhat of a, it's an old field that's not going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, there might be, it's, it might have its detractors. However, uh, that's kind of my personal belief. The, the thing that I, I envision myself or kind of see as the future goal is using, um, uh, sort of more collaborative efforts in order to progress the field. So whether that be general science or whether that be synthesis of natural products. So, you know, for, for example, um, I really like this sort of disconnect that, you know, I've worked on these um, novel, novel heterocycles and making analogs for drug molecules. Yep. And one of the things that's really interesting and a unique experience that I really love is the say it's more of like a breakdown of communication between biologists and chemists and if you okay, what do you mean that, yeah so for example if i go to my my biology collaborator and i ask him hey what are the structures that inhibit this certain i'm trying to inhibit transcription factors okay so it's a transcription factor inhibitor small molecule transcription factor inhibitor so what are the structures look like you can't tell me what that those look like without you know oh it's he you know pull up a paper and say this one you know he can't draw that out right but he can explain to me what gaps in the biological data are missing and what he wants to fill to probe mechanism of of this uh, uh, of this transcription factor inhibitor now on the flip side with chemists we're kind of blind to that, right? We're blind to these biological, how to probe, like, okay, I've, I've taken molecular biology. I know what a Western blot is, but could I go in a lab and run one right now? 
I mean, probably, you know, I'd have to talk to them beforehand and kind of get my wherewithal. And uh, most of those biology experiments are, are really exquisite. So I, I really love that. So um, that's one aspect of kind of collaboration and trying to fill this gap of communication because I love biology okay. and I love chemistry and uh, filling that gap is really neat to me from a communication standpoint, from a scientific standpoint. And furthermore, like as you progress through the field of total synthesis, you see like, oh, these these people aren't even making stuff in the lab anymore. What they're doing is taking uh, yeast or E. coli or some microorganism and they're editing the genome to then spit out whatever small molecule that they want. Yeah, biotechnology. And, yeah, so it's like a biosynthetic type of thing, right? So, um, and, and I think you get you get people who are really into biosynthesis get people who are into bioengineering and then you have synthetic chemists so it's this sort of and most people think that their method is the best way to go right but but generally there's probably some gray area where you know you can take aspects from this field aspects from this field and if you have this sort of open-mindedness to try to combine these concepts i think that's how i envision uh kind of moving forward you know so through the idea synthesis so joining the two ideas together you see yourself contribute to um, advancing the field of science is that, what you're, is that what you're saying yeah i would say that yeah that'd be that'd be almost like a future goal too i mean at this point i haven't done the i've done a collaboration with biology group but you know i don't do any biosynthetic work i'd love to do that in the future um but i mean aside from that i mean i i, I work on uh, a total synthesis that's a, a novel compound that's never been synthesized before to our knowledge as well as uh, we're trying to develop a, a and this is probably more hyper focused on what I actually do but uh, we're trying to develop novel uh, facile ways to to establish uh, oxobicyclic systems okay yeah okay that's good that's good yeah man so how have you sought or found the right environment for you to thrive scientifically and intellectually how do you find are you would you say are you found you how do you end up by are you in the first place yeah I, I would say I mean I I uh my dad went to school down here and I'm from Indiana. I did my undergraduate here. So that might not be the, I mean, I can say from like a work environment too. I think once I started working with Professor Williams, uh, his management style was a lot of what I kind of liked. So it's, it's, he's there if you need him, but he's not constantly, you know, he, he's very much uh, finds a lot of utility in developing the student rather than his own you know, I'm not an. Ex I don't feel like I'm an extension of, of his hands. Does that make sense? Like, okay. I'm not. I'm not just doing. <laughs> this is like a. You know, somewhat of a. You know, I'm not just doing what he tells me to do. Okay. You know, I'm developing my own ideas in the lab and then discussing okay. results with him. And he he puts a lot of emphasis on on that sort of training and allowing his students to develop uh, scientific independence on their own on their own accord. So he's there if you need him. Not. And I did a lot of digging when I first joined graduate school. You know, I wasn't I wasn't stuck to the Williams lab or or his style of management. And I think I would be perfectly happy in any other in any other lab. You know, uh, you know, there's lots of great labs that are here. Lots of different management styles. Lots of different working environments. Some people yep. work on biology. Some people work on total synthesis. Some people work on uh, metalloenzymes. You know, I think I'd be I think I'd be uh, I think I would really enjoy whatever I'm working on. Uh, so that was a tough choice, you know, picking 
Williams, especially it's not the best to work as an undergrad in the same lab that you're doing graduate work in, but it, it's it's exactly what I wanted to do. You know, I think total synthesis is kind of like my first love and uh, I'm, I'm happy I chose it as kind of a, a more classical training, you know, does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, that's good, that's good. So what have been your most impactful and effective ideas to date? Even if it's personal life, what uh, what what philosophy you go, uh, uh, that resonates with you? What ideas in chemistry resonate with you? Uh, we could phrase this question in several different ways. What works yeah. for you um, in your personal life? What works? What have you recommended to other people that works well? How do you approach content in your teaching? Because you serve as an AI for honors organic chemistry too, if I remember correctly. Right. Right. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, What'd yeah, you say? I would, I would think um, open-mindedness and then kind of actively listening. Actively listening. Uh, okay, that's good. That's good. I would say these kind of things are mainly what's been most beneficial to my development, and that just covers that's just across the board of, of personally, career-wise, and then having kind of this constant need for information and learning new things you know i think that's those all those three three things coupled kind of i would say that's the uh that's the triple threat in my opinion the trifecta okay that's good that's good that's good yeah man so um how do you maintain a balanced life excuse me how do you give, maintain a balanced life given all your responsibilities and accomplishments uh, that's a work in progress. Yeah. I don't think I really have that figured out. Um, okay. and, and I don't know how well that, I don't know, whoever has that figured out, I don't really. Um, so we can phrase it differently. How do you keep your priorities in check? Boundaries, I think, is probably boundaries. the best answer to that. So yeah, that's good. Yeah, I mean, for example, you know, like I, I really enjoy talking to people. I like talking about science. I like talking about know whatever's going on in their personal life and i like to be kind of an open ear for my friends and colleagues uh, but I, I think at a certain point you do have to put things in perspective and make sure that you're taking care of yourself you know yeah so i i would say that's the biggest thing and then communication of those boundaries to the people who are kind of closest to you is probably the most most likely the most difficult because you don't want to be you know a jerk about things you know you want to you want to set firm boundaries and then you also have to make sure the people who you're communicating with that you're communicating in, in their in whatever communication style they're most comfortable with some people are like myself i'd rather just be told like hey i'm busy you know like i, I can't talk now i'll talk to you later um other people need things kind of uh in a you know that's kind of a little bit assertive you know what i mean so sometimes you need to be a little bit more kind of PC? conscious. Politically correct? Euphemistic? Uh, I, mean, I don't know. I, you know, I just think it's, I think people have different styles like that. Yeah, I, mean, I think I some agree. people respond more well to that. And I think other people, you, you need to take things a little bit slower and be like, hey, you know, if you don't mind, like, do you mind if we talk later? Versus like, yo, yo, I'm busy. Like, I got it. Like with you, I think generally we're, you, you and I are on the same page. If, if we run into each other, we both done this to each other. Hey, bro, I got to go. You know, I got I got to go to the gym. I got this experiment running. And we, then next time we see each other, it's like, yo, what up? You know, it's awesome to see each other, you know? Yeah. So, it, you know, I, I think that that's the biggest thing is 
setting boundaries that are reasonable and then clearly communicating those boundaries to whomever they might be. That's good. That's good. That's something to note. You don't have to re-listen to this episode just to hear that snippet. So how <laughs> so how have you been successful as a student? I would say let's just take a snapshot. Let's just step back for a bit. I was at your um, your uh, Kennedy uh, fifth semester presentation. I was there at via Zoom. Um, and you work with Dr. Williams, who is a very notable professor. He has a lot of notoriety in the department. He did extremely well. Worked, went to MIT and also did his postdoc on the two chemistry Nobel laureates. Um, one of whom, if I'm not mistaken, is still there, um, EJ Curry, even though he may be retired. I'm not sure. But how would you say you have achieved these things? What has complemented you being able to achieve these things? Is it time management? Is it your knowledge of chemistry? And how did you, were you able to achieve these things? Like break it down for us, like in a stepwise fashion. How were you able to achieve these things from entering graduate school to achieving a spot in Dr. Williams's group to being able to defend your exam, defend your uh, fifth semester exam, all of those things, break it down. How have you reached this point in your career? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, I think, I think generally, I mean, obviously the, the kind of previous discussion set set me up for that, right? Where, you know, setting these boundaries, I think the support system is really helpful. Yep. And clear communication with that support system of what you're going through. I think mm-hmm. I think graduate school is really tough. I never thought that I would be challenged to this point. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't really stop. You know, after your fifth semester, after my fifth semester, I was um, extremely motivated because... Mm-hmm. At least in my opinion, it felt like I was kind of like floundering around and just trying to scrape things together. And I was hoping it was okay, or I hope I had enough done, or I hope I didn't miss something silly. And I hope I was contributing to the lab, and I hope I was contributing to science. So after you go up for the fifth semester, you get really good constructive criticism and feedback on on your performance, like either how the uh, presentation went, how your document is, and how your closed doors right mm. and that was extremely helpful and it kind of validated a lot of things but then it also gave you a lot of things to work on right so you know like for example I'm like not a performance a, review yeah exactly yeah exactly and then you're also getting a performance re- review from people that uh, i hold in the highest regard you know mm-hmm. i have three extremely qualified uh members on my committee right professor van uenzi professor cook and professor Gavarki. Uh, and obviously, wow. are, right? you have the big players, the big players. I got, I got the, the big Doctor, Doctor Van Doctor Demarchi. Wow, that's good. good. Yeah. yeah. So, so with all three of them kind of giving you constructive feedback, I, I mean, I took it really seriously and and focused a lot of my energy and, and a lot of those problems that I saw in my first two years. Um, I've really taken a lot of a lot of uh, sort of initiative to correct these things. Yeah, I kind of was doing a lot of different projects my first two years. And luckily, um, or I guess I was fortunate enough to complete two of them uh, for the most part. Okay, one of them has been published. This is like a synthesis of a mouse pheromone. This is um, of a proposed mouse pheromone rather, but it's another collaborative effort. Um, Synthetically, it wasn't wasn't terribly interesting. However, the, the biological applications um, interesting and I, I did learn a lot and then the other one was the hsf inhibitor the, the collaboration with professor carpenter's lab making these uh, heterocycles yep 
the transcription factor inhibitor. And then lastly, I was working on photosynthesis. All, all, all these things were kind of uh, at the same time. Oh, so yeah. the biggest thing I learned from that experience was to focus on, and this is exactly what I do now, is I focus directly on photosynthesis. At least in yeah. yeah. So that, that was- Be huge. the focus. Yeah, yeah. So that was a huge thing was, you know, they, they complimented me on like kind of the breadth of knowledge, right? And the breadth of projects I've worked on, but uh, they they said now is the time where you really need to buckle down and, and zoom in. And you know, I'm here to do total synthesis. You know, these other projects are fun and I learn an immense amount of information from them, but you know, and I, I, you know, it'll prepare me for working in the future with other, you know, biology groups or whatever, collaborative efforts that I uh, kind of seek out. But, um, you know, I, that was a huge thing. So um, I would think those were, you know, I mean, it takes a lot of work and you got to have, you know, great support staff, hard work, uh, and obviously like a certain aptitude. You know, I didn't come in with a crazy amount of knowledge, but uh, I find when I'm really interested in topics, I can remember things much better or solve problems easier when I'm interested in them. Yeah, that's good. Passion. And having a framework yeah. to associate information with. So yeah, that coincides. That, can t- that coincides well. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah, so yeah. you were saying? Go ahead. No, 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 I was just agreeing with you. Yeah. Yeah. So um, how you maintain vision and teamwork in your environment? So I know you work in a team. You work in a lab environment. How do you maintain vision and teamwork? Yeah. So we're all on kind of individual projects. We're all part of the same group, but we're all generally on our own individual total synthesis projects. Okay. So that's the way that it's kind of organized. Uh, which I do like. I think that allows for um, a lot of independent development in students. And that's mainly what I was looking to do in my graduate career was, was develop myself independently. Okay. That being said, we're consistently or constantly discussing problems that we might have with other group members. Okay, so I might not be working on the same project, but we're all studying organic chemistry. We're all studying synthetic organic chemistry to build complex molecules. So uh, I, I think that's really, really helpful is is sort of, uh, is trying to still collaborate even though you're on different projects because you, know, you can get isolated pretty quick if you're not discussing problems yeah. with, with other students in the lab. So. I also think that's a lot of like Professor Williams, the way he kind of manages the lab too, is is more like that. You know, like when we do group meetings, we don't we don't do um, reviews of our own chemistry. You know, we review literature, to, total syntheses within the literature, right? Because we should already be discussing our own chemistry with with students. You know, the group doesn't need to hear about our chemistry, right? Yeah, that's we're, good. That's good. Constantly talking about it. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's good. So do you have any advice to those wanting to pursue the field you're currently working in as a student? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I would say I, I think the general quip is like, don't be afraid to bake cookies, okay? Like, don't be afraid to get in the lab and to try your ideas. And I just heard something recently that uh, 
Professor Shinby came and gave a talk and I had the opportunity to speak with him for, for about you know, 40 minutes or something. And he said, if you're only doing the things that your advisor is suggesting or the pathway that your advisor is suggesting, you're just a technician. Okay? Wow. Wow. But, yeah, right. So I was like, wow, this is brilliant, you know. So uh, I, I'm going to give him credit for that because I don't know if he got it from somebody else or whatever. But it, it's a very powerful sort of, I think, philosophy because it, it's really true. I, you know, I, I wasn't trying to everybody did that. You know, if everybody on late nights tried their ideas and then if it works you tell your you tell your advisor but if it doesn't work you know you just kind of move on you know? <laughs> so um it, that was something that i would say that that is the main thing and it takes a while to kind of get your hands wet uh or, or trust your hands in the lab to make sure okay well you know do you think i really got all the water out of that reaction or was it did it get killed because i made some mistake with you know flame drying glassware I'm heavy handed on this and it killed the reaction or uh, so I think it takes a minute to trust your own results uh, yeah I mean that that would be my main thing I would I would always kind of remain open-minded and, and you know there's lots of ideas that I've tried and you know some work some don't but I think that's the main thing I mean you're here to develop yourself as an independent scientist who can communicate clearly with other group members to keep an overall vision in mind. You know what I mean? And yep. to solve complicated problems. So th there's kind of a balance there, right? Um, uh, working on your own project, but you need to develop these communication skills for career-wise and how to move forward. Uh, but you also need to be independently creative and scientific with your, you know, and, and pretty focused with how you're spending your time yep. uh, that, that would be the kind of the general advice i don't have it figured out yet but i'm, I'm working on it yeah so as we go as we go along can you see the slide can you see the slide yeah yeah, yeah, yeah i'm good so you see the macro lacrons on the side right you see the macro yeah, yeah, so yeah good good just so note People who are watching this, um, this is some of the molecules that have been worked on in the group. So going along with these questions, what is your favorite, which mechanism is your favorite and why? So these are a little technical. I hope you're ready for these. Which mechanism is your favorite and why? Favorite mechanism. So we can shift to the list. I have my little mechanism book on the side that I work through basically every single day. Um, would you say it is acido acido acetic acid synthesis? I mean, um, acido acetic acid condensation, um, would you say auto condensation, appell reaction, fish esterification, what's your favorite mechanism or type of reaction if you want to phrase it differently? Wow. What do you find most useful um, in the lab? If, um, most useful, well. Hmm. SN2s, SN1s. I think, uh, wow. That's got to change like week by week. Oh, that's a week by week thing? <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Because some things work really well, some things don't. You know, ah, oh, wow. I mean, there's some really unique ones that I think are kind of neat, and then there's some old school ones that I think are like incredible. Well, share them, I mean, share them. Go ahead, share them. I, I mean, I think there's no doubt that you have to say that deals all the reaction is. Yeah, it's classic. It's classic. Yeah, I, I mean, that. You toasted kind of, the deals all the <laughs> Yeah, that's, you got to have that. Um, I, I would say, um, 
I think I take a lot of interest in like the uh, old school like Ajo's Parish reactions. Some of the first kind of asymmetric aldol reactions. These are really sort of um, intricate substrate controlled. Anything that really provides substrate control, antioselectivity or stereoselectivity is, is probably the most beautiful thing. I mean, kind of now the, the new age sort of stuff is you're, you're interested in imparting stereochemistry based on whatever catalytic metal center you're using your catalytic transition metal um, which is kind of the new you know sort of revolution and you know, some of these are you know named reactions or i mean you could even say like you know, cross couplings or named reactions things yeah. like um i mean there's a whole lot of them that i could probably name on, oh, on the list okay that's fine well you've named yeah. a couple that's good yeah there, there's a couple for you Okay, so how have you gone about um, making this molecule? Is it like classified or is it confidential? What, what was the first step to making this molecule? Or how have you not made it as yet? Yeah, so that one's made. So what you want to do is you have a bond disconnection of your amide bond with the acrylamide backbone. Okay? So break it down, break it down. Bond disconnection, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so you have a bond disconnection at the amide. Okay, okay. sure, sure. Um, I don't know if I have a, I think you ha, you might have the laser pointer, but if you yeah, have that, I think, let me see. Yeah, so you have a bond disconnection at the amide. So right there. Uh, it's between the carbonyl and the nitrogen. Yep. Right Perfect. there. Perfect. Right there. Yeah. So, um, and that yields you this heteroaromatic amine with the thiazol and the pyrimine. Okay. As well as whatever you'd envision as the, as the uh, other portion of the ketone to make that amide bond. So you can envision. Uh, carboxylic acid, you can envision a methyl ester, um, something that would be less stable than your amide, hopefully. Okay. So, um, and I've tried carboxylic acids, I've tried kind of uh, a bunch of different amide bond coupling uh -huh. uh, to form that bond. Uh, the only thing that's found to work is a trimethyl aluminum, stoichiometric trimethyl aluminum mediated uh, at reflux with this. Um, mean with the uh, methyl ester or ethyl ester either one so in, you know so let's just say retrosynthetically you break that amide bond you, mm -hmm. you make it you make it via kind of uh, sort of addition of the you know pretty electron deficient yeah exactly pretty pretty electron deficient heteroaromatic amine there mm -hmm. so uh, that's kind of the thiazole species and uh, that's cross-coupled to that pyridine. So you, you take the uh, pyridine, the, it's the three boronic uh, acid pyridine, okay? So you make the boronic acid of that pyridine. Okay. Uh, it's commercially available. So you buy that, and then the thiazoles that cross-couple to that pyridine, and that gives you the heteroaromatic amine. That, that one's not that crazy. Uh, we did make some developments, though, in, in forming. So on the other half of this, so if, if you make that bond disconnection, yeah, perfect. So uh, that double bond there and this sort of other heterocycle there, those, these are called oxazines. Okay, so this one, this one in particular is a 2H13 oxazine. Okay, cool. Uh, so that's actually made through the gamma hydroxy amide, if you can envision that. So um, there was an initial report which used um, a DDQ triphenylphosphine mediated sort of appell type conditions. Okay. Uh, really, really low yield, sort of like 30%. But one of the contributions that we've made <clears throat> that was pretty significant on this project was the formation of 1,3-oxazines okay. uh, through its use of 
um, deoxyfluorination reagents, DAST and E. So formation of that, you know, uh, occurs readily. It, it's, it occurs at negative 78 in about 15 minutes to an hour um, to form that 1,3-oxazine with these deoxyfluorination reagents. All right. Um, so that was pretty useful to find that out. And, you know, the yield is high, you know, 95, 98% yields. Yeah. Uh, but that's how I made that, I mean, in a nutshell, verbally to kind of walk you through it. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. So um, what has been some of the most beneficial advice that you have received? If you, as we conclude, what has been okay. some of the most beneficial advice you have received? Uh, don't let the molecules sleep. Yeah, this you is mean. from yeah. So this is from Professor Williams, where um, you don't want to let these things sit. Uh, yeah, and not not from a like oh this is reactive, it's going to decompose or anything like this, but you want to keep your foot on the gas pedal. As much as you can, you always want some consistent pressure on on making progress. Yeah, yeah. And and I think that's that's one of the you know most helpful things to me. Uh, you know, if it's kind of the end of the day, you know, it's seven eight p.m. and you say, oh well, I think I've had enough today. You know, I'm gonna go home. <clears throat> Versus, I'm gonna set up one more reaction. I'm gonna set up two more reactions. And um, not leaving until that stuff is done. So getting that kind of extra push. So great. Uh, out of your day. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think that's got to be some of the, I would say probably some of the most, you know, and, and also, you know, somewhat thinking smarter and harder. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> you know, people kind of like try to just stay like, you know, think smarter, don't work harder or something like this. But, you know, if you have both of these things in mind, I think that you can achieve a lot of stuff. And, and I agree. Obviously, the common tropes of, like, not giving up and things like that. You know, are pretty yeah, that's, that's plot too. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think they're helpful. I think they're, I think they're definitely Yeah, it's important to persevere because life will bring you challenges and that's just being realistic. It will bring you challenges. Sure, you sure, have to persevere. Yeah. You have to persevere. But yeah, Jake... It was so good to have you on as a guest. I am so glad uh, you were able to join me today. Thanks for listening. We're glad you were able to tune into this podcast. Once again, this is The New Chemist where we discuss chemistry, which simply put is the science of change, as well as the other sciences, careers, community, research, and COVID-19. Thanks again for listening. Note, the views on this podcast represent those of my guests and I.